Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. Good morning. That was wonderful. I don't know if it sounded great out there, but up front, that sounded great. All the singing was magnificent. Yeah, it's a privilege for me to be here. Uh, I, I love my New Life family, uh, and I've grown to know and love, love the Imprint family. And to be together for this day of worship has been a joy for me, and it's a joy for me to stand before you and open God's Word. So I thought, what, and Kyle and I were talking about, what should we preach about? What should we look to in the God's words? We, as we gather together for the first time and think ahead, what might God be doing? Not knowing what God might do, but what should we think about? And I thought, we've got to ask the biggest question. Why should we do anything? Why should you do anything? From what should you eat for breakfast to should our churches merge together? Why should we do anything? If you ask yourself that question, why do I eat anything? Why do I do anything? It's going to go down one of two routes. Your mind's going to go down. Why did you eat your breakfast this morning? Well, I was hungry. Why were you hungry? Because I had these chemicals in my body. Why did you choose that food? Because these chemicals, uh, they like that food. My body has evolved to like that food. And there's happenstance. Your mind's going to go down that route. Or you're going to say, I I like this because God designed me to want that food. And he was good for it. And he supplied this food to me. And I can glorify him in in that. So either your mind's going to run down sort of random evolutionary chance or your mind's going to run towards the glory of God. But you take any question and you run down the why, you're going to end up in one of those two places. The question is, why do you do anything? There's a a catechism, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it begins with that question. It says, what is the chief end of man? That means what is the ultimate purpose of humanity? What is the answer? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Unless you're John Piper and then you say to glorify God by enjoying him forever. <laughs> what is our purpose? Why do we exist as a, as a species? As a, as, why does anything exist? Why is there creation for the glory of God? That has to be, as Christians, our ultimate defining assumption about everything. Whatever question we're going to ask, maybe we're not thinking it consciously, and maybe we should do that more, but always should come back to, does this glorify God? It's going to help you make a lot of decisions about what to eat. And, 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 and what all, can you think about, what, how should I glorify God in my car? Wow, do I, I, do I think? How can I glorify God with my house? How can I glorify God with this meal? Sometimes it's just saying, wow, this, you're great. But that's the, that's the question we have to always be asking. How do we glorify God? And in one sense, we're going to glorify God no matter what. If you're an unbeliever and you reject God, you glorify God in his justice. But as believers, we get to glorify God consciously choosing to recognize and display his glory. Because you realize when we glorify God, we don't make him more glorious. You realize that you can't make God more glorious. He is infinitely glorious and you can't add anything to infinite. We glorify God not by making him more glorious, but by displaying how glorious he is to others. By showing others that we think he is worthy, we praise him, we glorify him. What we were doing this morning, praising and glorifying God. But the problem is, to complicate matters, is we don't know how to do that. 
on our own, even, even believers, when God changes our hearts to, to want to glorify God on our own, we don't know how to do that. God has to give us his word to teach us how do we glorify God. So if we want to know how to glorify God, we got to look in his word. And so Kyle and I were talking, okay, we want to talk about glorifying God. We ran our, our Kyle read a quote. He said, wow, Romans 15, that's a great passage. I said, that's cool. Let's look at that. But then I said, let me do a, a, a study first. Let me look at all the passages in the New Testament talking about glorifying God. And I whittle those down to just us. What, how, what does the New Testament tell us about glorifying God? There are three kind of categories. We glorify God in doing righteous deeds, doing good works, especially if we're suffering in that. We, do, we glorify God when we spread, spread the gospel so more people are praising God. But then there's, there was this other category, and that's what we're going to find in Romans 15. We glorify God when we're united together. That is glorifying God. And so I want us to begin there because I want us to look at Romans 15 to see how we can glorify God. If we want to glorify God, we have to look to Scripture, and then this Scripture has to guide our thoughts and our lives and our choices. And that's what I want us to see in Romans 15. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, which is a little bit longer than I was going to read, but I want you to get the whole sense of it. Listen in verses 5 through 7 uh, for really the language of glorifying God. And if you're opening a, a pew Bible, it's page 893. It's Romans chapter 15, and we'll read verses 1 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who, raises, who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll look into this word, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. You are glorious and worthy of praise. We pray now that you would open our hearts to receive this word, that by your Holy Spirit, as you are working among us, would you work now, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be softened, that you would change us, that we would not hear this word and remain the same, but by your power, you would make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, by your Spirit, work among us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
Amen. Now, I want you to hear the sermon well, so I'm going to take out a roadblock real quick. At the end, the application of this sermon is not going to be, if our churches don't merge, you're sinning. That's not the application. All right, that's not, that's a decision we got to make, but that's not the application of the sermon. The primary application is going to be Christians. Are you committed to think like Jesus Christ so that you're more accepting of your brothers and sisters? First, in your own congregations, new life, are you accepting one another? Imprint, are you accepting one another? Are you loving one another? And then, as we have opportunity to work together as brothers and sisters, do we have hearts of love accepting one another as brothers and sisters? That is going to be the application. We'll have decisions to make other decisions to make after that, but that's not the application from this passage. That's going to inform us in those decisions. As we consider God's calling and the opportunities, we're going to have to consider whether we can display God's glory better together or in our separate places. But what's not going to be optional is do we love one another? Are we accepting one another in Christ? So that's why my main goal for today is whatever we do, we must do it for the glory of God. And we do that by being together. Now, whether the congregations come together or not, this is a different discussion. But you have to get that point. Are you making your decisions? Are you doing it for the glory of God? So my title for this morning is simply Together for the Glory of God. Together for the Glory of God. I, don't, I have my sermon. It's a, it's a question and answer sermon, which I usually don't like. I don't like sermons that ask questions and answer them, but that's what I've got. It's the best I can do with the outline. I'm going to ask four questions and answer them from the passage. Who is being called together? How can we be together? What does that togetherness look like? And why? What is the result of that togetherness? So first, who is being called together in this passage? We'll look at verses 1 and 2. Paul begins, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Well, who's in view here when Paul's talking about being together? It starts with the strong and the weak. The, the neighbor, the other. Now, remember chapter 14, Paul has been writing about strong and weak, and they're disagreeing about stuff, and he's telling them to bear with one another. They're disagreeing. So now Paul's digging in, and he says, if you think you're strong, you've got an obligation. And, and I think Paul's being pastorally clever here, because we all think we're strong. And boys and girls, you guys think you're strong. When you're competing, right? I'm, I'm going to win. So when you think you're strong... Paul's saying, okay, you've got an obligation. Bear with the weak. Like, oh, wow. But that's what strength looks like. Strength looks like being able to bear with the weak, to bear with the other. That's what Christ did. So he's saying, if you're strong, bear with the weak. Those who are failing, those who are needy, don't, don't be seeking to please yourself. Togetherness is not easy. It's about doing good to others, engaging, being, being committed to build the other up. That's following Christ's example. Look at verse 3. He jumps right into Christ's example. He said, make sure you get this. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we're, the, the strong and the weak, that obligation is like Christ. That, 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 that togetherness is like Christ. He was the ultimate strong. And he came to bear with the failings of the weak. In fact, he bore those failings on the cross in his body. 
That's the ultimate bearing with the failings of the weak, dying for them. Christ died for the sins of his people, and Paul is holding him up as our example. We are to move towards the weak. In our congregations, moving towards the weak, not building bubbles of isolation, not just hanging out with the people that you like and it's easy. It's moving towards the weak. That's following Christ. Towards each other, the strong and the weak. But then at the end of the passage, did you notice at the end, he starts, he brings this other category. We have strong and the weak, but then he goes to Jew and Gentile. Paul's reminding them that this is not just, this, this is a big thing he's talking about, this unity. The, there's, there's Jews and Gentiles. He, remembers that, he reminds them that Jesus first came to the Jews to fulfill all the promises of the patriarchs. All the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ so that all of us could get drawn in. Like how many of us have Jewish heritage? Maybe one, two? I don't. I had no place in the covenant except for what Christ did. And so now Christ is calling me in. So it's big. He's calling all these people in. He has all those verses from the Old Testament about the Gentiles praising God and being ruled by Jesus, submitting to him. So who's being called in together here? Who is the, it's everyone. Everyone. In Christ, we are one. And in another place, Paul uses language even more striking. He says, for the, the, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, and free. He's like, take a look at the most different kinds of people. But they're being called in to Jesus Christ. And that's a big picture, right? That's the whole church. But we live that out when we experience it together in the local church. When all these different kinds of people are coming in together. We're glorifying God. But if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, then we're not united. Now, we can have commonality. We can be Americans together. We can have similar likes. We like the same sports team. But we can't have this unity because you can't make that. God has to do that. You have to be in Jesus for us to have this kind of unity. But look, what we just saw here, this is for you. The example is for you. Christ has come. And what we can't do, Christ has done. He died on the cross for all who would believe on him. He fulfilled all the promises of the old covenant so that you could hear this gospel message this morning, right now. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're brought into union with him. And then you're brought into union with this great worldwide body of Christ and in this local congregation of family. And that can be, we're not good at that. We screw that up. But that's the reality. We're working towards this unity if you believe on Jesus Christ is for you. But if you're in this congregation as a believer, this is who God is talking about here. Whether you're weak or strong, Jew or Gentile, we are to be one. We're called in to be one. So are we putting up walls? Are we putting up arbitrary dividers? Are we looking down on the weaker brother? Are we harsh or critical or judgmental? Christ is calling us to be one. So the second question is how? How in the world can people so different be together? How can we do that? How can we do that even in our own congregations where we're choosing to be together? How can we be one? Well, let's move on the passage. Look at, let's look at verses 4 and 5. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. How can we be so different? Well, I see two big points here. 
a foundational point and a point to uh, a supporting point. But the first point, the foundational point is found in verse 5. Look at verse 5. How can we be one? God has to grant that. Look what Paul's praise. He's entreating. May the God of endurance and courage grant you to live in such harmony. Uh, foundationally, how can we be one? God has to do it. God has to work in our hearts to make us one, to make us live in harmony. Now, you can think of that in a couple different ways. You can think of that big picture, which is what we heard from Ephesians this morning. When, when God makes us one, we're called out of darkness and into life and into Jesus. And then we heard that beautiful passage from Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ we're alive. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. That's the big picture. We're united to Christ and we're together. But that's not what's really in view here in Romans. That's being applied to our experience in Romans. What's in view in Romans here, the, this is God is granting us to, to live out that harmony. To take what we are in Christ and to live that out in the hard day-to-day experiences. Notice how, how Paul talks about God. They call God lots of things. God of righteousness, the God of love, God of holiness. But what does Paul call God in this passage? The God of endurance and encouragement or steadfastness and comfort. Paul is drawing our minds to how hard it is to be one. It is not easy to be united with other sinning people. Hard work is required. It's hard for us. So Paul's not thinking about that spiritual unity that we might have with that Christian that we never met. That's easy. He's talking about the hard work it is loving the brother or sister who's sinning against you. It doesn't agree with you and has a different preference than you. That's hard. We need the endurance of God. The the perseverance from God to keep this unity because it's hard and our flesh rebels. We want what's easy. We have sin and they have sin. and Their sin irritates us and we like to ignore our sin. We have weakness and they have weakness. And their weakness irritates us and we like to ignore our weakness. We have different preferences and we like to make excuses that are different. We should be separate because of this. We make excuses. We need God to grant us the endurance to keep fighting our flesh and following Christ. And we God to give us encouragement to do this. The encouragement to fight when it's so hard and I'm so tired and I'm exhausted and I'm not getting anything back from that brother or sister. We need to be encouraged by God that this is a good thing, that this is the way of peace because it won't feel like it. It feels like it'd be easier to leave. It'd be easier to hang with my clique. It'd be easier to get my little bubble. It's harder to move towards the weak, the needy, the hurting, the different. It's hard. We need God to give us this unity. But how does he do that? And that's the supporting point. And this is cool, but look at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you see the parallel words? The God of endurance and encouragement, how is he getting that to us? Through the scriptures that give us endurance and encouragement. 
those things written from old for our instruction, that's where we find the endurance and encouragement to press on. That's how God gets that to you and to me through his word. And here is our hope. And here is where we can have a life of harmony because we're thinking here, we're bound here by the word of God. The scriptures teach us and they remind us of what is true. They tell us to hold on. You have a God who loves you. You find that out in the scriptures. A God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how accepted you are. It reminds us that it's good to to keep pressing on. It reminds you when you've failed that there's forgiveness in Jesus. It reminds you when, when you're not getting anything back from anybody else. There's heaven before you and reward and joy that is unimaginably good. So endure. Endure the suffering. Endure the hardship. Endure the discomfort of that rough relationship. Endure. Because it's good and it encourages us. The scriptures encourage us. They encourage our obedience. That the Lord is pleased with you because of Jesus Christ. You need to be encouraged. I don't want to, I'm struggling to do this, but but the Lord's pleased with me. I I can do it. The the Lord is smiling at me. I I can do it. I'm freed by Jesus to serve him. I have all I need in Jesus. And there's a God and he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So he encourages obedience. As it says elsewhere in Hebrews 12, so lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and run with endurance the race set before us The word of God encourages us. Don't give up. Keep trying. Keep moving. This is how we can be unified. The God of endurance and encouragement uses his word to to give us endurance and encouragement to stay together and move towards one another even when it's hard to pursue righteousness. Real unity apart from God's word is impossible. Real unity apart from God's word is what the world does. This unity, we have to have the word of God to guide us, to instruct us, to lead us together. Through his word, we're enabled by God's spirit to endure and encourage to live in harmony together. So how can people who are so different be unified? God has to do it, and he does it through his word. In faith, we, we trust, right? So that doesn't mean we just sit back and say, well, God's going to do it. He's going to do it in his word, so I'll read my Bible, and I hope I'm going to be harmonious. No, in faith, we trust. I, I know I'm struggling. That brother's where I'm struggling. That sister's where I'm struggling. So I'm going to trust God. He wants me to be in harmony with them. I'm going to trust him by his spirit and his word. He's, he's instructing me and guiding me. I'm going to go do my best. I'm going to give all of my energy to serving and obeying God. And I'm going to, I'm going to, that's what faith is. Believing God is going to do this, and then I go do all the work, trusting that God's going to work through me to accomplish it. So that's how we can be. God has to do it, and he works through his word to encourage us that we endure as we work towards unity. So what does it look like? What? What does this unity look like? Let's keep moving through the passage. Look at verse 5, and then we're going to jump to verse 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's two pictures we have there. Living in harmony together 
in accord with Christ Jesus, and then welcoming one another. And let's look at both of those. First, we're, we're, we're living in harmony in accord with Christ Jesus. What does that mean, accord? That means agreement. In agreement with Christ. Our life is agreeing with Christ's life. As we are living in harmony with our lives in agreement with Christ. It's a unity born from thinking like Christ. The, 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 the phrase there trans, that we have in the, the ESV there, living in such harmony, could be translated uh, having a, of like mind, being like-minded. So we're thinking along the same way that Christ is thinking. Our lives are running down the same track that Christ's mind is running down. We're running down those things together. So as God renews our minds, we're thinking more and more like Jesus. Now here, Paul, we just had chapter 14 where everybody's disagreeing about stuff. So Paul's not saying you're going to agree about everything. Douglas Moo, one of the commentators, says, Paul is asking God to give them, despite their differences of opinion, a common perspective and purpose. When we're thinking like Christ, we have his perspective and we have his purpose. We're living in accord with him. And a lot of things we're not going to disagree about, but we're going to have this purpose. We're going to have this perspective. That's in line with Jesus. Paul had just been writing about what concerns Jesus? What was Jesus about? Remember back in verse 3, we just read that. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This gospel motivation that, that for Jesus, for him to come into the world to save sinners, that gospel motivation should be motivating us. And he's not talking right now about gospel evangelizing other people that are unbelievers. He's saying that's how we should treat each other. As he moved towards the brokenness of, of a sinful world, and we can't save sin. We can't do that part. But that's how we're supposed to move towards each other in the church, bringing that gospel towards the church. We need the gospel. And, and, and Paul's here calling us, if we're, if we're living in accord with Christ, and we're, we're living in harmony by bringing that gospel to each other and living in the reality of that gospel more and more. We're thinking of others more than ourselves. We're motivated by the gospel to think of others better. And Paul writes about that a lot, doesn't he? Remember in Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2, verse 4 through 8, Paul again is talking about the mind of Christ and how we should think like Christ. And he's saying the exact same thing. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we're, we're supposed to have the same mind as Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's pretty, that's what Paul's thinking about here. That's being in accord with Jesus. When we're all living in harmony together, trying to do this. Think less of ourselves and more of each other. And the example is, like, Christ was so willing to do that that he would die for us. That's the heart motivation that we have to live together. That's the harmony that this is talking about. But the other picture is we're to welcome each other. We're to welcome each other as, as Christ welcomed you. We are to welcome one another as Christ welcomed you or accepted you. 
How, how did Christ welcome you? Did Christ think, wow, you are so good. You get me so much good stuff. You treat me so well. I'm going to pick you out because you're so great. This is an easy relationship. Cost me very little to be engaged in this relationship. Absolutely not. That's all the opposite. Christ chose us when there was nothing good in us. He loved us when we hated him. He chose us when we rejected him. We could give nothing to him. And he had to die to enter into this relationship. That's how Christ welcomes us. He says, that's how you're supposed to welcome each other. As Christ welcomed you. This unity, this weak and strong unity granted by God through his word, it's remarkable because it's God-crafted. That's a powerful, real unity that's not of our flesh. But friends, our flesh can't understand that. And and I, I promise you it doesn't because we don't do this very well. Because we can't get that God really does think we should think that much less of ourselves to think of others that much more. It's like we have all these walls of excuses we put up. And I do that too. Because we don't truly get this. We, we, but Christ is pushing us deeper. Deeper in. We don't understand. We don't understand how we're to welcome each other this way because we don't really understand how Jesus welcomed us that way. We can't get our heads around that Jesus really does love us that much. Remember in, in earlier in Romans, Romans 5, when, it, when Paul's trying to explain the love of God through Jesus Christ, and he's talking about how you're just not going to get this. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, and then he goes, for one would scarcely die. Like you and I, we would scarcely maybe die for a righteous person. Okay, we could maybe get our heads around that. Though perhaps for a good person, we would dare to die. Maybe we could get that in our heads. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We just can't get that. We cannot get our heads around that. And because we can't get our heads around that, we can't do that with each other. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to have more of of this relationship here? We're going to go there. We got to get to Jesus more. We got to get our heads more into how much he's loved us, how he has welcomed us so that we're enabled then to welcome each other. We can't just look at ourselves and all of our differences and all how right we are. We have to look more and more at Jesus. We have to look at his example. He is how we are to welcome one another. Laying down his life for the good of others. Paul's taking that example. He's applying it to our life together in Christ. Friends, we can't make sinners right with God. We can't be those who unify others outside of Christ, into Christ. We can't do that. We don't have that power. But what Paul is saying here is that the way that Christ loves the needy the sinner, the other, we're to love each other that way. That's a high bar. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why God has to do it. Because we can't do it on our own. But God absolutely can. The more we're fixated on and overwhelmed by the love of God for us, we are enabled to love others in Jesus Christ. Do you see how powerful this unity is supposed to be? It can only be experienced... This, this unity with people that are so different, different backgrounds and different tastes and different assumptions. How in the world can we be together? It can only be experienced when God does it.
by his spirit and by his word. We're governed by this and we're drawn together because we love Jesus so much. You, you remember the, 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 the prayer of Paul in Ephesians? He has a couple prayers there, but there's one where he's praying that we would comprehend the love of God. He says he's praying that, that our hearts would be strengthened. Our hearts would be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith for the purpose so that we would be able to comprehend the love of God. And that's the length, the, the length and breadth, the height and depth to comprehend the love of God, which surpasses understanding. That's what we need. We need to comprehend the love of God that surpasses understanding. You're like set free in this ocean of love. When you get that, you can love others. Because I'm free to love others. That's how Christ wants me to love others. Rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. So it can't come from us. We look at ourselves, we get a lot of excuses. Oh, this is why I shouldn't do that. I got a lot of those in my heart. And it's very easy for me to go through that catalog and pull out the excuses. But when I look at Jesus, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad you didn't have any excuses to welcome me. Right? So we look at Jesus, and all of a sudden my catalog of excuses looks a little pathetic. And I move towards others in love. So every time that's, that little voice creeps into our hearts, I want my way. I want to be served. They, that, that brother's not good enough. I'm better than her. We need to run back to Jesus, crying, God, remind me how you welcomed me. Lover of my soul, help me welcome them. Boys and girls, I want you to listen for a second. You are in a really special time of life. In your life right now, I know some of you are trying to follow Jesus. But right now, this voice is really loud in your ears when you think, I'm better than them. I want my way. That voice is loud and clear in your mind oftentimes. If right now, if you can start learning to say that's sin, you're going to be so far ahead. You're going to lead a life that is glorifying to God because I'm going to tell you, as you grow up, that voice is still there, but it gets really sophisticated and hard to hear. <laughs> you're, you're, they're laughing because, yeah, we have that voice too, but we don't like it, so we make it sound nice. But right now, you know you don't have that sophistication. You're just like, I want my way. You see that? Like, that's wrong. Jesus didn't want his way. To follow Jesus means when you hear that voice, that's not right. Jesus, help me to love my mom and dad. Help me to love my brother, sister. Help me to love my friend. That's following Jesus. So you trust God for that. And moms and dads, friends, we need that too. We're just good at saying it's cool and special and smart and right. And we can recognize it's not, but it's sin. We're not following Jesus anymore. That's where we start glorifying God with our choices. This is what unity looks like. It means welcoming each other like Jesus welcomes us, living in accord with Jesus. The last question then, why? Why would we do this? What's the result? Well, we end where we began. Verses 6 and 7. The motivation for all of this, for every Christian, this should stir our hearts up with love. Verse 6, we're, we're going to live in accord with Christ in harmony together so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's the why. That's why you do this hard work. Because if you're a Christian, you're backslidden, you're struggling with sin, but this is in your heart. You want to glorify God. It's there. 
And, and when the more we fuel that by seeing how much he loves us, the more we want to glorify him and it will fuel us to love others. When we do this, this glorifies God. Unity in our flesh is easy. That means we have a unity of like preference, unity of like backgrounds. Anybody can do this. The world does this. They call it clubs. If, you have a, if, if our unity is just like preference and like backgrounds and everybody comes in and says, wow, your church is really nice. There's no division. Everybody gets along so nice. Well, of course you do. You, you've kicked everybody out that disagrees with you. Right? But, but unity that's from the Holy Spirit where there's differences and struggles and differences of opinion, that is hard and they will feel like there's disagreements because we're still sinners and we're trying to apply this. But this is glorifying God because we are going to stick to it. Because we want to live in harmony with Jesus and we're still applying the gospel to all those differences and we're all trying to grow together. That's the picture. And how do we work that out with our context? Is this our hearts for it? To love one another? Because we're convinced by the word of God that that's how we glorify him. And if we're convinced by the word of God, it's worth sticking in. It's worth loving in the hard relationship. It's worth not giving up because, because God is worth it. And we want to glorify him. And then in together, in harmony, with one voice, we, we glorify God like we did this morning. With one voice, it was glorious. We were singing praise. That's what's in view. We were glorifying God. We show to everyone, we show to ourselves, to angels who are watching, we show that God is more important to us than our differences. And that glorifies God. That doesn't mean necessarily we have to merge our churches. That's application for decisions to make. But do we have hearts of love towards one another? That is what is required. It is not optional. Do you love one another? In our own congregations, are we serving one another? Are we welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you? And together as we have opportunities as fellow believers, as, as two sister congregations, are we loving one another? and welcoming one another? Or are we building our own kingdoms? Well, you got your way and we got our way. Right, right now, it's still kind of easy because this is just sweet and fun. But when we start talking about differences, but hey, we like to do it this way. Oh, I like to do it this way. Then it's all of a sudden, I'm looking sideways and maybe you're not so cool anymore. I like my kingdom, you get your kingdom. It will get harder as we get to know each other more. It will get harder. The question is, are we willing to glorify God by continuing to love one another, whether or not we merge or not? We're continuing to love one another and welcome one another and accept one another as Christ has welcomed us. We need the God of endurance and encouragement to grant to us to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. This is how we're going to glorify God. And as I close here, remember I told you I, I saw kind of three big ways in the New Testament about how do we glorify God? Doing righteous deeds, sacrificially suffering for Christ that shows he's worthy. We do spread the gospel and more people come in. To, to, and then this unity one. This unity is at the core of all the others. Because unity is what the church is all about. This is what God is doing. He's making one people of God. And so when we do good works of righteousness and we suffer and we're showing love to one another, that's building unity. When we spread the gospel, we're calling more people in. We're calling them into this unity. This unity is at the core. This love is at the core of what God is doing in the world. And if we want to be people who are glorifying God, we must be people convinced that unity is a good thing to strive for. We will never choose the hard road if we're not convinced that unity 
as glorifying to God and worth striving for. There will always be a reason not to. There will always be an easier, it'll be always easier to just stay away, stay with people you're like. It will always be harder to choose a hard road. Jesus did not choose the easy road. He chose a hard road. And then he looks at us and says, follow me. This is the road of blessing. Follow me. Let us believe. Look at verse 13, the last verse. I want you to put your eyes on these words for me, please. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is hard, but this is where joy is because this is where God is. So may the Holy Spirit now give us the joy and peace in believing. So whether you believe for the first time or I'm calling you to faith to believe today or you've been a Christian for, for decades, let's believe together. Let's believe Jesus and let's live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. You are so worthy of every bit of praise, every decision, every choice, every moment of our lives should be given in praise to you for you are worthy and you are glorious. Father, we love you. We give our lives to you in all the ways that we struggle to do so. Forgive us and then please by your Holy Spirit, turn us to love you more, to follow you more fully. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.